It's the Breaking Atoms podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, a.k.a. the failed homo sapien. And my name is Chris Mitchell, a.k.a. the actual factual. Yes. Listen, man. I ain't going to do too much talking. I ain't going to do too much talking. I'm going to ask you how you are. I'm going to say peace to the listeners. We love you. Thank Pun you for your support. again. Right? I, I'm, I'm ignoring you because we have more <laughs> pressing issues to get to. We have Big Poo on the Breaking Atoms podcast. And I've just got to say death to colonizers for one um and, and number two um i have to say th- they're doing this was very much about ensuring that you had a time and place and a platform in order to speak to someone who i know has had a big influence and impact on your life and on your music it's very Appreciate important it. for Thank me you. to do that because you are the actual factual, but when I listen to your music, even especially your early music, I can hear the influences of Pooh and Fonte. I can hear it. Um, and I didn't, not that we had to say that to Pooh at any point, but I know it's there. So for mm-hmm. me, this was more about, and I've not, I don't, I've never met, I have never met a bigger Little Brother fan. Maybe one other person. That's probably Guru, maybe. But outside of that, I've never met another bigger, bigger little brother fan than you. Yeah, I'm. I'm I think I would be on the uh, the Mount Rushmore of LB fans. Definitely, I'm there. So I'm that's there. that's the purpose of this. So that's why I, I don't appreciate get to you. Talk. Thank you. I don't want to talk. I don't even want to talk too much. Me, no, you did. We you did. You did say that you were like, look, you can rock solo if you want. Cause yeah, if you nah. want, I said, look, do it. For, I, this is simply. This look, is true. This is what we're doing, right? This is about talking to people that we love that we have an affinity to, but also people who have contributed to this culture and who have helped shape our, our thoughts, our perspectives and inspired us. That is what this podcast is about. So without further ado, Breaking Atoms, Rapapoo, check it out. It's another special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. And today... Man, we got we got some elite level MC in the in the house, elite level, God level, formative years. This is something for us, this little fan moment because, you know, we were young. I mean, I'm slightly younger than Chris, as he likes to always point out. Not too young, but a little young. He always likes to point out me younger, but this is you know our formative years of you know modems and and uh, you know before broadband fiber, how we used to consume music and discover music and. And the gentleman we're speaking to is very much responsible for our formative years of growing up on independent hip hop. From North Carolina, we are talking to rapper Pooh. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thank y'all. How y'all doing? I mean, this this is big for us, man. This is this is Justice League, Little Brother. This is for members only. And this is crazy for me in particular because, you know, I'm going to have a few stand moments, but you, my friend, are so important, not just in our music taste, but just our journey as people in the culture, podcasters and we have this list that we've never shared with anyone um it's a list about people who we want to speak to and you are a fixture on that list so we're really excited to have you here today oh man that's big man i appreciate the opportunity thank you all good you, the, the 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 thing we'll say is that we me and chris are not we're not afraid to stand out respective respectfully to people that we love because this is a, a culture that 
we hold very dear to our hearts, right? We've lived through it, we've grown up on it, and it's very important that we give the flowers to those that we feel have contributed to the culture, who've influenced us, but also influenced other rappers and producers and MC everything. So this is important to us. So we want to thank you, but let's get to this. Let's let's, get to let's it. start. Let's get right to the beginning, right? So moving to North Carolina from Virginia, talk about that age. Set the scene for us there. Yeah, I, um, it it was time to go to college. And I was originally supposed to be going to Old Dominion University, which is in uh, Virginia, the Norfolk Hampton area. And I was going to be living with my uncle. Uh, my uncle had a house there. He's He was in the military. And a deacon from my church, uh, he, well, we all, all the youth had deacons that, you know, looked out for him, you know, with like mentors. And my deacon asked me, he was asking me about school and what was going on. And I told him what was going on. And I was a procrastinator and getting all my paperwork in. And and so what happened? And he he just suggested, he was like, what if I told you you can go to school for free? And I was like, I'm listening. <laughs> and uh, and so it, it so happens a, a few deacons at the church went to this particular school, North Carolina Central, and one of them, who had his own business, he had a scholarship that he had formed the, um, for the school. And I was like, let's let's do it. I had never heard of the school, never been to the school, knew nothing of the school. And I just, I filled out an application and they processed it. And a week later, you know, I was telling my mom that I'm not going to live with her brother and go to school where she thought I was going to school. I was going to a school in North Carolina and, you know, I'm 18 and she was just like, listen, you're, you're an adult now do what you feel you think is best. And a couple of days later, my deacon, he took me down, him and his family drove me down to, to the school. And my arrive, my arrival was me pulling up, not to the school, but to a hotel down the street from the school because I hadn't obviously I didn't know uh the school they were they hadn't completed two brand new dorms that they were in the process of building so upperclassmen who were supposed to be going into them dorms ended up having to stay at hotels in the surrounding areas for it was a couple months until the dorms were ready and because I was late I ended up having to stay at a Marriott hotel for like two months, which doesn't sound bad until you realize you don't have a meal plan because you never had a housing plan. <laughs> so you can't, I was spending all the money I had worked for and earned that summer. I was spending all that money on food. It was a McDonald's across the street. And then of course the hotel had food. So I was spending all my money on food, uh, buying food. Luckily I had that money to spend, but I was spending on food and, uh, gained that freshman 15 very quickly, uh, eating fries and Reuben sandwiches and things of that nature. But, um, that was my introduction to North Carolina. Uh, well to North Carolina central, I had been to North Carolina previously, well, both of my uncles at the time were stationed in Jacksonville, North Carolina, uh, in the Marines. So I I used to come down in the summers, but Jacksonville is nothing like Durham. 
So we know the story about how you, Ninth and Tay all hooked up. But one thing I was fascinated by, and it comes from reading the liner notes, you always mentioned Missy Ann Studios and Chop Shop Studios. Mm-hmm. Can you describe what the vibe was like in, in those studios? And what was it about those particular spaces that made you so creative and productive? Absolutely. So Missy Ann's was uh, Cesar, or still is, Cesar Comanche's apartment. Um, he had an apartment on campus of NC State. Um, which when I got to North Carolina, I learned how close Duke University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill and North Carolina State, along with some other uh, historically black colleges and universities were close together. It was literally like a 20 minute radius, you know, and so NC State, uh, Cesar Comanche had an apartment off campus apartment. I don't think he ever attended the university, but he had an apartment over there. He still has that exact same apartment there. Um, and he, what he did was a one-bedroom apartment, and he converted what would be the bedroom into the studio area. And he basically put a bed in the living room, and he slept in that room. And then you recorded in what was the bedroom because it had the bathroom, direct access to the bathroom. And I mean, it was a group atmosphere. It was, you know, it was no less, it was rare that you went to record and it was just two, three people in there. Like I'm talking five, six, seven, sometimes eight, who knows, you know, how many people going to be in there. And the mic was pretty much set up right beside the computer, the two old speakers, the, the computer, the mixer, and everybody had to be quiet when it was time to record. And so when you, if you listen to them acapellas, you can hear coughing, um, giggling, whispering, moving around. You can hear all those things in the acapellas. Uh, but it, it was a, it was an atmosphere of um, competition. It was an atmosphere of, uh, you know, help, uh, support. And it, it was just a good time. It was for me, it was a great way to, uh, learn how to really make songs because up until that point I knew how to write but I didn't know how to make songs so it was a great atmosphere in that respect and then Chop Shop Chop Shop was it was different different iterations of Chop Shop uh it started off as at Big Doe who who became my manager started off at his one of his houses that he had um he set up in the living room of his house. And then he moved out of that house, but Sean Dom took over the lease and Sean Dom did the same thing that Comanche did. He let the bedroom, one of the bedrooms be the recording room and he set up in the living room. And so we would go over there and record and record. And then chop shop graduated to having its own studio spaces. So the mystery show was recorded in the studio space that's under this dentist office. And we could only go record after 5 PM when the dentist office was closed. Cause we made too much noise. Um, and it was in this building and you like had to go down these steps and, you know, it was a nice big room and it had an air crate that was that you put on your bed surrounding the mic. Uh, that's where we recorded the mystery show at. Then by the time we got to, uh, Gangsta Grills and Get Back. We recorded that at this other place. It was like an industrial, small industrial park. 
the big the big room in the building, I think they built like stuff for amusement parks or something. But we ended up having three of the rooms on the other side of the building. So we had like an office, we had a pre-production room, we had a uh, studio room, and it was one, two, three. And then uh, we went down, we had four offices originally, and Crisis had a his own production room out of there. And then we got rid of one of the offices, and it just, Crisis had a room, then we had a meeting room, and then we had the studio. We got a booth built inside of the one of the rooms for the studio, and that's where get back and justice for all separate, but equal, uh, you know, a lot of different projects. The first foreign exchange album, well, the second foreign exchange album, the first one was recorded where we recorded the mystery show. Sleepers was recorded where we recorded the mystery show. So those are just different, you know, the different chop shops. And, and we had those all the way up until 2011 and um, and then Doe ended up moving back to Connecticut and Dunny and I took over Chop Shop and we moved it um, again. And I have the mic that we recorded all those albums on right here. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> you recorded the minstrel show on that? The minstrel show, uh, Sleepers, Get Back, all the mixtapes, the first two foreign exchange albums. Um, I think part of the listening was recorded on that mic as well. That mic has been has been through some stuff, and and now that's when you hear my projects. That's what I record on. We didn't record the little brother, the the current little brother album on that mic. Fonte has his own studio in his house now, but um, all my solo stuff, I, I got the mic now. That's that's the glow. Uh, I I ended up getting it after Dunny and I ended up closing the last iteration of Chop Shop Studios that we had. Um, because I moved to Charlotte. So I'm two and a half, three hours away now. And, uh, you know, for a while I was going back and forth, but I was like, I can't do that anymore. I need to set up at the house. So I ended up getting the mic, um, the original monitors we had, those not what's in the background, but um, the original board we had, I had that until that broke down. Um, but the mic, mic still is still going. It's still, still rolling. Built to last. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that was the that was the and and my bad the vibe the vibe in the chop shop. The vibe in the chop shop was like Missy Ann's. Um it probably was more competition though. <laughs> like we were definitely, you know, going for it. You know, it, friendly competition, brotherly, but we were definitely going for it. We were, you know, competing, wanting to be the best, you know, wanting to impress each other. Uh you know, to this day, I still, when I write things, I'll send them to Fonte or I'll send them to Sean Don and like, yo, man, check this out. What y'all think? What you, you think this is a good direction? You know, I need to change, go back, redo the whole thing, whatever. So it, it, it created that, it fostered that atmosphere, Um, you know, but it was, it was all trying to bring the best out of each other. And, um, and, and that's how all them songs are made where you hear multiple people from the justice league on songs like because it was rare that you had time to yourself in the studio the only time that you typically had you know when we were doing little brother stuff people knew it was little brother time so they didn't come or um 
like when the away team when they recorded you know because people had different recording times so like Sean Don he's an early riser so he'll go in early he he know you know sometimes we will little brother we would catch him as we're leaving he'll be coming in uh because we were late late you know we were the group that recorded late we didn't start till 10 11 o'clock at night so we would go through the night and then you know uh, uh other people would come in in the morning or during the day and you know we kind of had it timed out that way but for the most part it was always somebody else lurking around <laughs> uh when you were working and that's how all of the features on other people's projects normally happened. I see. Okay. Um, just a random fan question. Was there anything recorded for the listening or the minstrel show that didn't make it? Uh, the listening, not really. Um, what ended up happening was was things got recorded after we finished after we said we were finished with the listening and they became other things so like uh every block um heart of the city those were recorded after we finished the listening and then there was a debate at one point in time about uh heart of the city replacing groupies part two on the listening um then for mistress show nah i no we we didn't because by that time i mean we didn't really practice recording a whole bunch of tracks and then you know paring down the best ones like we were pretty much very efficient in that way and i i i attribute that to fonte he's very efficient when he records there's not there's not you would never have a we recorded 25 and only pick 12 moment like that that would never happen with him um Every once in a while, it might be one or two that didn't make it. But typically, we won't even start one if we have a feeling that it's not going to make it. So it wasn't many um, tracks that we recorded with the intent for an album, but it never ended up Do on that album. Do you remember what tipped the scales for Heart of the City not to be on the listening? Yeah, so... The thing with Groupies Part 2, Fonse wanted a, um, he wanted a false start. That's, that was the, it, I forgot, I forget which Tribe album that he, he framed it or referenced it from, but it was more like he wanted a false start to the listening. So if you listen to it, it feels like, I mean, maybe not now because it's been so many years, but originally it felt like it was out of place like it was sequenced wrong like the album really starts at track two not groupies part one so that was the point of that it was like a false start but it was a dope false start and then you get into you know the the actual album so when you swapped it out with heart of the city the feelings were different like whereas groupies part two feels like a beginning even though it's a false start, it still feels like a beginning. Heart of the City doesn't. It it's a it's a it's a dope joint, but it doesn't have the same feeling. So that's why that didn't work. It didn't fit in the narrative of the story. You know what's funny? I was actually listening to Sleepers today, mm-hmm. and when Heart of the City came on, I said to myself, you know what? This actually sounds like it could fit on the listening. Like I, I was going to ask you if it was, um, if it was recorded 
as part of the listening session. So to hear you say that, yeah. it validates my my craziness and all these ideas that I've got going around <laughs> in my head. Uh, I think Heart of the City is one of my, my favourite songs. It's, it's one of my favourites from you. So tell us about how, how your solo tracks come about because um i noticed on the first album you did groupie fonte did uh nighttime maneuvers and it was a similar thing with the minstrel show what was what was the idea behind that right so the idea was um we pretty much was borrowing from uh tribe called quest um and how they had solo tracks on on their albums and so we wanted to do the same we wanted to um showcase our individual you know kind of how basically show how we had to compromise to create the little brother quote unquote sound, but how Fonte went one way, I went another way. Um, and that was pretty much the idea behind the solo tracks. Uh, just borrowing from what we heard, but putting our own little twist, our own little spin on it. And uh, as I was saying, we discontinued it when we got to get back uh, we didn't have the solo tracks anymore, but by that point, we both had pretty much established what a pool track sounded like, what a Fonte, you know, track sounded like, and then what we sounded like together. So that was, gotcha, that was, gotcha. that was the point of that originally. So the fan in me, um, mm-hmm. we've got to go back to sleepers, but I'm going to talk about the outtakes mm-hmm. project. What was your editing process with the sleepers album because i can't compute how old national and hate bitches didn't make it to the to the album oh. I, I don't get it like those songs are uh, crazy it's about the story for me um sleepers i i had sleepers telling a specific story and then a lot of times some of them tracks come at the end um they, they'll come at the end of the process and by that time i've i fell in love with what i have you know what i'm saying like it's hard to you know, replace what you have if, you, if you've been listening to it a certain way for a, a period of time. So um, that that's typically what happens. Like it, it didn't fit within the sequence. It didn't fit the narrative of the story I was trying to tell. And, and it ended up on the cutting room floor or it came at the end and it wasn't one of them things where I felt replacing what I already had for what I have currently would do it you know, any more justice than what was there. So that's that's kind of how that happened. So all of those tracks were from that period. Um, the the Sleepers Nostalgia uh, was not, it's uh, narcoleptic uh, outtakes. Those are all from the Sleepers period, either before I actually started on what became Sleepers, some during, some after. It's one particular uh, that's, it's it's an alternate version to, uh, one of the records I can't remember the title right now. Just friends. The the version that's on the narcoleptics outtakes wasn't on the actual album is because Crisis lost the files for that session, so we didn't have the beat to mix anymore. So we ended up creating a whole new, whole new um track for for the song. And then now, what happened with now was. Prices did the original. Keep the bling. No, no, I keep the bling uh, now. The song yeah, now. So the original, I was going to ask you about triple play, but don't let me cut you. Go ahead. No, I got you. So now, that was uh, for me and Merce. Crisis did the beat. Sent it to Merce. Merce sent it back to ninth. 
Ninth heard it and he put his beat, he remixed it before we even heard. I've never heard Merce on the Crisis instrumental ever because Ninth, when he got the files, he, re, he redid it, he remixed it and then sent in the remix version and not the original version. So that's why there's two versions of that. Okay. Yeah. Yo, knife sneaky, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, you know the songs yeah, on the triple yeah. play EP. Um, were those for the yeah. Sleepers Project too? Nah, nah, those weren't for the Sleepers Project. Those were, I, I recorded all the time. Like I, I've, even to this day, like I have album worth of tracks that nobody's probably ever heard. Um, well, most people haven't heard. So at that point in my career, like I was recording almost daily. Um, so while I recorded all the time, I was still efficient. Like I can come to the studio and knock out two joints in the session and, and then they'll be tough and nobody will know until later. And they'll be like, Oh, we need a song for something. Oh, I, I got a song for that. And so I, I just, I just had a whole bunch of songs recorded and it was just me trying to get better. Me trying to, work on my craft, me, you know, just, it, it was that thing. So I just constantly recorded trying to find ways to improve on, on my skill set. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Ninth is sneaky. I respect it though. Very I respect sneaky. it. I Very respect sneaky. it. Summit, over to you. <laughs> you you mentioned uh, about honing your skills, storytelling, flow, delivery, subject matter. How's that be, how has that been for a personal journey for you? Because honing is good, you can kind of do it like an athlete, right? But as personally, how has that been for you? What have you gone through personally? Uh, yeah, it's just a work in progress, man. It's just it's it's about growing, uh, maturing, um, you know, as as a person, as a man, and sh- being willing to share my story. You know, allowing the listener to walk away knowing something about you um, or learning more about you. You know understanding who you are and up to a point, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's the thing is, is sharing your journey with people because you never know. Um, you know, I talk about my brother frequently, you know, my relationship with my brother and, and I've had people come and tell me like, thank you for, you know, talking about him because, because of that, like I, I, I can now share with my friends or my people, some of the things I'm going through because it's similar, um, in nature. So, uh, just things like that, man. Um, just always wanting to make sure that people are getting a piece of me and everything they hear and not rapping about rap. You know what I'm saying? Like not rapping to say, Oh, I'm the nicest and having tons and tons of songs talking about how nice I am, but more just really taking the time to share my story. And and that's, that's all, that's all I really wanted to do was share pieces of me. And, um, and so it, it but it takes time to be vulnerable. You know what I mean? Like, you don't start off, well, most people don't start off vulnerable. And it just, I mean, even all the way up into Made a Little Watch, I was still working on that part. And it took a lot for me to put in some of the things that I was putting in songs and Made a Little Watch. And and I thought about taking some of them things out, but it just, Fonte told me, he was like, yo, when you put, it was the the, the line about driving Uber. He was like, when you put that line in the album, like in that verse, that's when I knew you had broke through that level to vulnerability in your writing. Because before I wouldn't have done that. I would stop. I would, I would, I would come up to a certain point and ah, that's too much. But 
I started going over that line and he was like, yo, that's when I knew you had went up another level in your writing when you started taking giant steps over that line. So that that's pretty much what it is for me, man. And then just listening and figuring out different, it's, it's like a basketball player. You come into the league and you may be fast and can jump high. And then one summer you go work on your dribble. And then the next summer you go work on your jump shot. And then the next summer you work on your post game. And so that's kind of the same thing for me as a writer. It's just, I'll say, okay, I need to work on, you know, my inflections when I rhyme. I need to work on uh, being more detailed when I write certain things. I need to work on, uh, you know, using, choosing different words. You know, I, I, I roll with it the sources, you know, when I'm writing. Uh, just try not to use the same words all the time. You need to work on not putting so many curse words in your rap, not leaning on that. You need to, so it's just different things that I try to work on every time I I, I go in to uh, start a new project or start a new phase in, in my writing career. No, that, that that's that's fair. I think you've always had um, real realism in your bars. Um, mm-hmm. Can you speak to the? I guess the loneliness of creating music and kind of making ends meet, because you mentioned them right on time, and there's a lot of people who listen to this who are budding producers, MCs, singers, et cetera, et cetera, who were in a place where, you know, in Rearview Mirror, you talk about not having a job since 03, and right on time, like you mentioned, you talk about, you know, Uber driving and, and, and Amazon deliveries, and there's a loneliness to the thing of you're trying to create this music, you're trying to reach this point where you want to do what you want to do, but then you also have to, pay rent and you've got to have bills can you speak to that and how you how what, what you know i guess not coping mechanisms but how you dealt with that and um just come i guess advice on how to to deal with that yeah i mean i think it was tough for me it was more ego driven than anything um i had went through six seven years where music was all i did you know and i you know touring putting out albums special appearances, whatever. And that was my life. That's, that was my job. That's how I got paid. It was a, it was a great life. Um, made a lot of money, spent a lot of money. And then it all went away. And my ego was the thing that was bruised. I understood I needed to do what I needed to do, you know, to take care of my bills. But the ego is thinking about like, man, you know, two years ago, man, you was, at Derek Jeter's uh, foundation concert party weekend and at the hard rock, you know, so it's, it's an ego thing, but, you know, I tell young people all the time when I talk to them is that, well, first of all, more now more than ever, the nature of how music is made and distributed and put out and et cetera, et cetera. And especially during this, this global pandemic allows for you to have, a job, but still do what you want to do as far as music. What it takes is a commitment to doing multiple things. It takes a discipline to doing multiple things, but it's set up for that at this moment. Nobody's torn. <laughs> like you don't need that time off. You, you know, I'm doing interviews and podcasts and things via zoom. You do that from your house. So I can do it from my car. I can do it from anywhere. You don't need to be in New York or L.A. or wherever, you know, to do those things anymore. But I also tell young guys that 
for a period of time, there was this, uh, it was a perception thing. It was like, if you're not making money solely off of music, you're broke. Or you're, you're not really an artist. That was bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's plenty of artists. You have no idea how many actually have jobs outside of making music. And they just don't say anything about it. You have no idea. But I tell them, like, there's nothing wrong with making an honest living, with, you know, doing what you have to do. I said, me personally, I did Uber, Amazon, whatever. I did that to maintain flexibility. It allowed me, it was a way to earn money and allowed me to maintain flexibility. So, you know, when my artist Luke went on tour with Jed for three weeks, I didn't have to ask nobody to go. I just went. When I needed to go to Europe, I didn't have to ask anybody to go. I just went. And so that's why I did what I did. And um, and so I tell him, I said, look, man, the game is set up in a way for you to do, have your job, make your music until you're making enough off your music to where you don't need that job anymore. Keep that job. It's, it's nothing wrong with that. I don't care what the, you know, the perception is, what the image is, man, that's bullshit. It's just people, it's people, the, some, the same people telling you that are probably some of the same people who has to go do other things to make money as well, because it's not, everybody, everybody ain't making millions off music. Like, you know, as an artist, you know, if you're a label corporation, you're making plenty of money. But as an artist, everybody isn't making a lot of money. It's some people who you think making a lot of money who really aren't, you know what I'm saying? Like they renting them houses and them cars, stuff that they in and, you know, taking loans out to get that jewelry and things of that nature. So I tell them, don't get caught up in that. Just focus on your world, what you need, what you have going on, what you, what you have to do to support you know, your household, your family, et cetera. And, uh, and I, I think the tide is turning on that, you know, people understanding that, you know, a lot of that stuff is a facade, man. And this, you know, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, a guy that works, teaches, you know, works at the airport, the rental car place, hotel, whatever you do, and still, you know, being nice, like, just because you have a job don't mean you are nice. Right. And and I think that in our right. in our communities, especially in our culture, we have to we have to stop with the I guess the snobbery of that, you know, you have to have a certain lifestyle in order to feel like you made it because that then also opens up the doors for people to fake it, which they are faking it till they make it, but generally with the money mm-hmm. phones and, and incriminating themselves, et cetera, et cetera, because they feel they have to keep up with the Joneses as such. And so we have to do what we can to as grown people now, as we're adults and maturing to go, hold on, I mean, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with having a job. As long, Look, people have to have multiple in- streams of income. It is what it is. It's the, absolutely. It's the, it's the way life is. It's not you're going to be a rapper and that's it. You're going to have to do other things. And and if anything has taught us about how the music industry has changed, but also how the pandemic has changed everything for us, is that flexibility mm-hmm. you talked about is is crucial more than ever when you've got family, friends and loved ones and you know it's 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 mad so no thank you for saying that and um very appreciate i just before i hand over to chris i'm going to jump ahead slightly um mm-hmm. the art of communication so i'm not a rapper by no I'm, I'm i'm a failed homo sapien that's my ak one of my ak's is a failed homo sapien chris is a rapper and i've been thinking about a, this, very, like, a very good one just want to say that no you're not not really not really <laughs> not really you're gonna say that in front of poo really 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 <laughs> right so so i've been thinking about this is like when preparing for this interview is like when we have like 
elite MCs like yourselves, we communicate with fans and listeners so eloquently. Like it's it's like like that, right? And sometimes I'm not saying that it's easy to do. It's not easy at, at the level that you are at. It's not easy whatsoever. But we can communicate and and have an affection with listeners. But sometimes we can't communicate well with loved ones, whether it's ego, mm-hmm. whether it's whatever it is. And as a as a I guess not an OG, but as someone who's older than me, someone who's more seasoned than me and more mature than me, I always want to just understand the, the tips for being able to communicate with loved ones. Because shit, I still with loved ones, I still battle it, and I'm like, I'm supposed to be mature. I just don't know how to get around it. But then if I talk to someone at work, I'm super eloquent. What the hell's going on? What's wrong with me? And so I was just I just wanted to ask you about the art of communication and and ways we can do that better with loved ones. Because you know people like yourself and Chris can do it well with listeners. You know, me and Chris, I mean, I don't even like the guy. I'm just doing a podcast with him. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, I mean, that's something that I'm, st- I mean, I'm still learning, man. And I, I learned a lot more during uh, this pandemic, uh, just having more conversations with family members and loved ones and understanding that I think a lot of times we take that, familiarity or that love or whatever for granted and um we take that time for granted and and i think that's just the thing is you know talking to them talking to loved ones in reality is no different from talking to a fan or whatever engaging with you know a fan or 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 someone else but i just think we take it for granted more which is ironic (laughs) you know what i mean like but what I've been learning is just to really is to have those conversations, man. And and to really take the time to listen to, to family, because even for family, depending, depending on how close you are with them, they have misconceptions of what you do, you know, and, and and they may have misconceptions of who you are, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So you, you might need to really take that time to, to engage in conversation with them and, have more conversations and so that's that's something that i've been trying to do is maintain you know talk to my nephews more they they just turned 15 talk to my sisters more talk to my mom more and you know my dad my stepmom and my my, my in-laws and things of that nature and just have more conversations with them and 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 so they can understand who not forget what i do but understand more of who i am now as a man you know, more than anything. Um, and it's time, man. Like I said, I just think the biggest thing is we take them, we take that relationship and that time with them for granted. And we don't take other things for granted like we do family because we think in our mind, oh, they're going to always be here. And as we, we can see, that's not always the case. Fact. So, that's fact. Um, I think that's the biggest yeah. thing. Thanks. Chris. Let's get to the music, Pooh, again. Now, you you are someone who I think is so important in the story of Kendrick Lamar. And some people are going to be listening and thinking, what on earth is Chris talking about? I first heard of Kendrick Lamar on your Delightful Bars. This is when he was called mm. K-Dot. You had Absol mm-hmm. on there and J-Rock. Now, in your mm-hmm. infinite wisdom with your amazing A&R ear, what was it that you heard in these guys? You're like, I've got to work with them the energy um the crazy thing uh day free who was at td at the time he he hit uh little brother myspace page up 
I'm dating myself again. He hit our MySpace page up and he was like, yo, man, we're fans of your stuff. Uh, we want y'all, you know, want y'all to work with J-Rock. J-Rock had a deal at Warner Brothers at the time. And so I was the person responsible for checking the MySpace page. So the little brother MySpace page. So I saw it. I didn't, it, it's something crazy about things. I don't check everything that come across, whether it was MySpace, now Twitter, emails, whatever. But every time when I actually go check something, I have a good feeling about something, it turns out to be true. So this is one of them times where I actually said, let me go look at this. Went and checked this video out. The first, I don't even remember what song it was, but a video he had. And I was like, okay, I like him. He, he, he sound pretty cool. He, you know, got a little, he sound a little bit like game, but you know, I think he, I think it's dope. I like the song. So I hit him back, reached back out and that started the relationship. And so I ended up going, I was going to LA a lot and uh, ended up going to LA. Me and Big Doe went to LA and called Dave Free. He was like, yo, I'm in LA with my manager. You know, what's up? Want to pull up, meet y'all. Drove out to Carson, California to a cul-de-sac. Top dog ran the cul-de-sac. He had a house in the cul-de-sac and the studio was in the back of one of them houses. So we go over there and I don't even think J-Rock was there. That's the funny thing. I, I don't I don't think J-Rock was there. Uh, I had talked to him on the phone, but I don't think he was there. But Soundwave was there. Mixed by Ali was there. Kendrick was there. And so I'm, I met everybody for the first time and, you know, I'm listening to records and they played me Absol stuff. It was like, yeah, we just signed this kid Absol. And I was in love with Absol. I'm like, yo, man, this 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 guy's crazy. Like, he got the Lupe, but not Lupe. He got, like, it, it was just crazy. And so um, when I came home, I was like, yo, I got this record. Man, I love to get Absol on the record. I sent the record to Dave Free. He sent it back a couple of days later. He said, yo, man, everybody jumped on it. I hope you don't mind. I was like, let me hear it. Heard everybody, <laughs> like Kendrick, you know, Ab and J-Rod. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Like, hell yeah, I love it. Ended up flying back out to LA to shoot a video. It's it's a video, nothing less video, low budget video that's online. You can find in, in, in certain corners of the internet. Uh, but the, the thing about that, that I think that's when our relationship really formed. I mean, besides me actually pulling up to where they were at, because most people didn't do that. Like, you from out of town, nine times out of 10, you stay in Hollywood, right? It's like, oh, meet me in Hollywood. Go to a studio in Hollywood or Burbank or something. We actually pulled up to where they were, which a lot of people didn't do. And, you know, we not known, you know, we we don't have the reputation of street guys and nothing like that. So I think they were a bit of shot, like, oh, y'all really came. <laughs> like, y'all real, you know what I'm saying? And it was like, yo, I mean, I, I didn't feel it was a threat here. So, you know, this music, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, but when we, when we went back out to do the video, um, the the original person who was doing the video, you know, he was he was trying to do his thing, but it it, it wasn't panning out. And you know, I'm apologizing. I'm like, yo, man, I'm sorry, guys, man. I you know, I thought this was gonna be something different. Woo -woo. And they, man, it's all good. It's a whole spent the whole day us trying to get it right. It's like it's all good. 
was like, yo, meet us down in Long Beach tomorrow. We're going to get a camera and we're going to do our own version of the video. And ended up going down to Long Beach and that's, we shot it in a sneaker store where they knew the person who owned the store. And so, uh, and that's how the relationship started, man. Um, you know, their energy was infectious. You know, I love the fact when you went into uh, that original studio that Top had, he had rules on the studio and it was like, you know, about being on time. It was, it was basically rules about being professional, taking your craft seriously, always working, always recording. And I appreciated that because even though we didn't have those rules written in our studio, it was the same thing. You know, it, it was the same thing for us and how we operated. And so I appreciated that and I appreciated seeing it and I saw how hard they worked and how energized they were, how much they wanted it. And, um, and that's kind of how the relationship was formed. And, you know, for a while we did, you know, songs back and forth and, you know, sent files or whatever. And it's always love when I see him, you know, pull up the different things. It's always love to this day. Um, you know, they're huge now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and individually and together, but it's still always love. They still pick up the phone, answer texts, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's one of those things where I didn't see it becoming this I knew they were going to be further than where they were, but I didn't know it was going to become this. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it was quite, quite cool to see. Dope, dope, dope. Um, delightful bars. You know what's crazy? I was looking, I was doing my research and you had this whole campaign. You had the four different covers. Now me and me being mm -hmm. the Justice League head, I tried to find all the different covers, but I can only find one of them. What, what happened there? So... It was originally supposed to be four releases, um, where it was a core, a core of songs that remained the same on each, each project. But then you had individually they had their own songs that weren't on any other project, and we only ended up putting out two versions, uh, a CD, uh, a, a version just for Apple, and then a CD version that. And they had a few different songs on them and they had different covers. So that that's the only two we ended up getting out. We supposed to have a Japanese version and then uh I forgot what the other version was, but it, it was, was another Candy version Apple, that we had. Japanese. It, it slipped my mind. It was Candy Apple, Japanese, North American, yeah, and then the it was North the American fourth Pie. Version. I, yeah, I can't yeah, remember. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. right. Yes, yes, North American. Yeah, the American Pie. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that that was the that was the concept. Um, and we had the four covers. Like we had the four covers. Shout out my guy Tobias Rose over at Complex Creative. He created, you know, the four covers and um, but we didn't end up putting out two of the versions. Uh like songs, some of those songs ended up on uh Rapper's Delight. Um, because I had a lot of songs, man. Like I had like three albums worth of songs that a period of time and it was all different versions of me trying to start dirty pretty things that's all it was it was me trying to figure out what my next album was going to sound like after sleepers and so i was just experimenting trying different things recording 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 and then when i realized okay none of this stuff is going on this next album then that's how rappers delight and delightful bars came gotcha about. okay all right I have one more question to ask yeah. you before I pass pass the mic to submit. I was really looking forward to the Young RJ project. I won't lie, Pooh. I'm like, 
this is so this that. is this is little brother meets <laughs> slum village like it's a marriage what, what what happened like did the project was it i'm not interested anymore or did anything else happen no 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 it was um it was it was a combination of things um one uh trying to get the business straight between myself and um barack entertainment at the time and then um and then in the midst of that slum village came back together to do an album so young rj had to turn his attention to that like that was priority one for him so he had to turn his attention to that and then in doing that what ended up happening is a couple of the records that we did together became slum village songs and so you know in by by time he that process was done and over with i had moved on like i had i was knee deep into some other stuff i was knee deep into dirty pretty things actually at the time so um so that's kind of what happened with it and then i knew i was going to have to start pretty much over because a couple of the songs had been used for slum village records or whatever and um but we i mean we were we were knee deep in it man like you know we had uh, I, I put out the, the what was lost volume one and that was tracks that we didn't use that was a couple of the tracks we didn't use so we had the eric robeson joint which he ended up using for his album uh the intro joint which was bear witness for slum village um uh getting in was supposed to have method man on it uh we had uh people which was a single we put out that the remix had pasta news from daylight so it, it i mean man it was coming together that that album would have been crazy if we would have actually um finished it and put it out it would have been crazy man we had the live musicians all over it and, and all the different things and you know it, it was fun i mean i learned a lot um got to work with you know slum village uh you know spend time with them and um you know tour with them uh so it, it was a fun period man i grew a lot i learned a lot uh it's just unfortunate we couldn't you know complete the project as we had originally planned was um what we are from left back was that for the uh, young rj project too that was for the young rj project okay. as well all right yep. thought so yep. thought so yeah summit i've done enough talking yep. today so i have a there's one question that's come up uh, from what you've said, Pooh, but I want to stay mm-hmm. with uh, Dirty Pretty Things. Real Love. Where were you when you wrote Real Love? Man, I was just... I think that was when... Was it? No, that was before that. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I was... I, I had went to Atlanta. Focus was living in Atlanta. And, you know, we wanted to work on... Um, he wanted he wanted to work on some joints for the project, and uh, Focus was building beats live in front of me. Uh, for the, I let him hear what I had, and then he was creating stuff in front of me. And it was a thing of he had an idea of what he wanted to do, but also he was trying to see what I was leaning towards. And he would work on stuff, and, and you know I'm I don't show much emotion when I'm listening to beats. Like I'm just listening. I'm trying to figure out what what this can be, what this can become. And so I wasn't showing him many emotions. So he was just, he'll start something. If you don't see me reacting a certain way to it, start over. And I was, he was like, dang, man, you ain't liking nothing. I said, what are you talking about? I'm loving everything. Like, he's like, yo, I'm not seeing it. I don't see it. I was like, oh man, I don't, I don't react that way. Like, 
I go straight into trying to figure out how to how to conquer this thing. And um, and so finally he was like, yo, man, I want to do this, I got this idea and, and I want to do the hook for it and let me do the hook and then we go from there. And so that's how those came about, man. Cause this whole thing was he wanted to take me somewhere musically that I didn't normally go. And he wanted to go somewhere musically with me where people haven't heard us go before. And that was his that was his whole thing when, when he did did the joint. Oh fine. Um right. This is gonna test your memory. Who was little brother's top eight <laughs> friends on MySpace? <laughs> Shit, I have no idea. You said MySpace. In my head, I was like, yo, Tom and his top eight friends. I need to know who are little brother's top eight friends. Listen, I, I have no idea, man. I Trying to keep up with that stuff even then was crazy. But now, man, all I know is for MySpace, shout out to MySpace, shout out to Rosalind, um, who used to work in MySpace. We ended up getting a free trip to Hawaii. Um for the separate but equal project, uh, we got three day trip to Hawaii. Uh, they was like, "Look, we want y'all to do album release performance in Hawaii. Uh, we can't, we don't have the budget to pay y'all, but we'll fly y'all there and let y'all be there for three days, like a mini vacation." So we was like, "All right, we'll take it." <laughs> and um, we ended up going. It was just me, Fonte, and our DJ Flash, and we went out there. Uh, Flash White flew out because it was around the time of their anniversary, I believe. So they spent the whole weekend doing couple anniversary stuff. And um, I was running my, my homeboy flew out there. Uh, we I grew up with, he ended up coming out. So we hung out the whole three days and I literally saw Tay twice. <laughs> I saw him at an in-store we had and then I saw him at the show. Those are the only two times I saw Tay. Other than that, like I was, I was out, you know, out partying and, um, you know, uh, just doing what I do. And so shout out to MySpace. Cause that was, that was fun. Cause that was my, I loved MySpace. Yeah. That was my second time in Hawaii. That was my second time in Hawaii, but that was the first time I got to actually kick it in Hawaii. So yeah, fine. And we, yeah. uh, we are, we are uh, rounding up. We can't leave without talking uh, about May the Lord watch. Um, for me, mm-hmm. What I want to ask you is about how both you and Tay kind of approached the album being cognizant of what Little Brother meant to fans like us, but also you guys have grown up yourselves, right? Collectively and individually and trying to find that balance of what you both want and what to give give the fans. What was that conversation like between you two to then start the process of making Made the Lord Watch? Um, well, first, we we don't live off nostalgia, right? Personally, us too. Um, so we didn't want to make a project that sounded like Mr. Show or Get Back or the listening sound-wise. Um, and I think that was some of the discrepancy we were having with Night. Uh, when it was originally supposed to be all three of us. And so we knew, Fonte and I knew our sound, our sound had developed, you know, individually. So we wanted our music to reflect that, uh, reflect where we were 
you know, at that point in time versus where we had been. So what we decided was the fan service will be the concept of the album, but the music will be where the updated version of what Little Brother sounds like. And that's that's how we kind of merged, you know, blended the two together and used the fans that that time and doing the skits and all, you know, the concept of the album to kind of wrap up stories in the Little Brother universe, you know. And then, because um, the big thing for us was Percy's... Rest death, in peace. Right? Yeah, rest in peace. What brings people together? Weddings, funerals. Those are times where you see people you haven't seen in years. Is at weddings and funerals. So, for this one, we decided that it was Percy's time to to you know return to the earth. And, uh, and yeah, so that was that was our that's was our thinking was fan service is the concept, the skits, things of that nature, but when you hear the music, it was going to sound like an updated version of Little Brother. It still sound like Little Brother. It's just the updated version of Little Brother. And and that was pretty much the 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 mentality, the the focus going in was was that. And you know, how we picked tracks were, I mean, we went through hundreds, maybe thousands of beats, man. And we made an agreement that if both of us didn't say yeah, it got it got tossed out. It didn't get used. So every track you hear on the album was mutually agreed upon by both of us. Because it's some it's some dope joints that either I was like, ah, I don't think this gonna be it, or Fonte's like, ah, I don't think this gonna be it. And they're tucked away in our personal little playlist stashes to come out later. But um that was the thing. We both had to agree um to do it. We wrote everything together. Like I would go up to Fonte house for three, four days at a time, basically move in. And, uh, you know, we, we picked the beats, we wrote everything together, we recorded everything together and, and, and all of that. And it was just a beautiful experience. It was a beautiful journey. Uh, we got to relearn each other. We got to understand each other um, more than ever before. Cause that's the most time we spent together since we probably recreated the listening. Um, so we, we kind of, in a way we took it back to those times, except we didn't have all them six, seven, eight other people in the room while we were working, but we took it back to that time just to kind of relearn each other. And, um, and, and it pours through in the record. It's really funny when you talk about, not funny as in, but I'm talking about nostalgia and fan service. The lawn made a return on the day the album came out on Facebook. I don't know. I, I don't know if you know, but. <laughs> everyone from the lawn had a group and it was crazy everyone was like yo there's this new little brother Albert. it was like a family reunion people were like yo wow. i got kids now i'm married i'm doing this and it was just this window of time where it went back to 2003 it was absolutely wow. nuts like uh one of my best friends is actually someone i met on the lawn just to kind of show you about fan service and community he flew me out to california a few years ago we recorded over there. This is all from the lawn poo. Couple of years wow. ago, he invited me to his wedding in California. And we sat there at his wedding nice. like, this is all from a forum. So we're, we're tied <laughs> because of that. And um, 
absolutely just, it, that whole little brother universe you talk about you know ubn it's like there are real characters in that but there's also real people like us who are part of that universe and it brought us together again on that day that's that's amazing man and that's i i, I didn't even know that but that's amazing um yeah, that, I mean, that's what the internet did, man. It connected people from all walks of life, from all different places, you know, on, on this planet. And it, it just connected us in a way that we probably wouldn't Absolutely. be connected. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and, and that's that's one of the beauties of the internet. I mean, the internet has its ugly spaces and, and things, but that's one of the beauties of the internet. You know, I mean, just look at Fonte and Nicolet, the foreign exchange that was created via the internet you know how i how i met you know kendrick and j-rock and and all of them internet uh shit how we got our first deal the internet (laughs) i'm saying so you know the internet is is been a wonderful place man i I would never shit on or complain about the internet it's been wonderful for little brother it's been wonderful for me Uh, it's been wonderful for a lot definitely you know and it's and it's it's, it's, it's beautiful that you have this bond and this friendship that started over a music form and now in real life, you know what I'm saying? Y'all bonded forever. It was funny, Pooh. It's when, um, when my wife met his wife and, um, you know, I met his wife for the first time and she's like, so how did you guys meet? And imagine like, it sounds crazy. Yeah, we met on a forum, a music <laughs> forum. And she's like, and you guys are here together. I'm like, yo, it's literally a music forum. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a special thing. It's a special thing for me. And that's why your music means so much to me because I can tie it to certain um, circumstances and situations in my life and even people. Like I see people and talk to people and I hear a little brother song in my head. So before we wrap up, I know you don't like to live off nostalgia, but I have Mm -hmm. to ask as a former lawn Mm -hmm. member, what are your top three Justice League related projects and you can't say any little brother albums or sleepers. <laughs> um cuz I got I got my three. I need to know yours. Uh man, this is tough. Uh the the, the first mm-hmm. legacy album. Um Project, Project Mayhem. Mayhem. Beautiful album. Um Median's album. Media's okay. relief. Mm-hmm. And huh. oh, damn, what is this terrible? <laughs> <laughs> ah, There's so many to pick from. Man, probably probably does mixtapes count? Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Joe Scudder's one and only mixtape. Uh, is his, his one and only mixtape. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but do you know how? Do you know how happy Middle we were Watch. to hear from yeah. him on 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 um yeah. Middle Lord Watch? <laughs> that was when I heard him, and I was just like, they actually brought back Joe Scudder. I was like, this is crazy. This this is this yeah, is, man. This it's, is it. it's so funny. We have a group chat. It's, it's myself. Uh, Scudder, Fonte, Shondon, and uh, Big Doe. And, you know, so I, I talk to Joe all the time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's my brother for life. Like, we we, we talk. Um, and Fonte had the idea, and it's so funny. I was actually in Atlanta with Joe when Fonte called him with the idea. 
uh, I was down there doing some some management stuff, and and he called him, and, and I saw Joe pacing like, oh man, oh man, Fonte called me, he wanted me to do something, because uh, he didn't even know we were working on the album, so he didn't know what he wanted, what he what he wanted it for, and um, he didn't even know what it was going to be used for. He didn't know until he heard the album <laughs> how it was going to be Damn. used, and so. Um, so now nah, it, it was cool, man, because that's, I mean, all our skits and things of that nature, they derive from real life jokes or real life things. And that was, we always talk about Joe and this, in this, we joke, but it's, it's really, you know, complimenting him or how he's turned his life around. But we'll always say like, yeah, man, you living your best white life now, you know, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you, <laughs> like you used to be you used to try to be one of us, but now you're finally being who you really are. Like, and we, we you know, we're joking kind of, but you know, we're just so proud of you know the person that he's become, you know, as he's as he gotten older and, and he's doing what he want to do, you know, doing things that make him happy now, and, and you know, he's Dope. living good. So. uh that's where that's where it came from, but you know, obviously, we turned everything into yeah, a joke, that's so that's, up, that became the joke. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, that is. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the love. That's the love. I'm so happy you mentioned Project Mayhem and Medians Relief because those are two of my favorites, and I'm not just saying it because you're here, Pooh, but Sleepers is is top three for me as well. I just want, I just want you, you to I, know that. I mean, it would have been top three for me too, but you said I couldn't use my project, so <laughs> yeah, we can't, we can't do that. We can't do that. I got one last Justice League related question, and I'm out. Sure. Okay. Sure. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, the Justice League are going to make a return. You're doing a, re- a recruitment drive. You can add one new member to the crew, but they've got to be NC, past or present. Who would it be? Uh. It would be Joe Scudder, man. He he actually was never an official member of the Justice League. I like the fact that you highlighted that. Yes, because yeah, all the justice was yeah. different. That's right. It was different. He, he was he was never he was always with us, but he was never an official member of the Justice League. So I would I would make him an official member of the Justice League, uh, and then that that would be that would be the guy that's rolled. Dope. He was yeah. already rolled. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. He just get a name tag. Okay. You know, he get a shirt. He get a he get a sticker tape. He get a he get a he get a you know he get to get a work shirt. You know, he get a uniform Dope. now. So nah, that would he be gets it. A, yeah. My name is like and they put Joe sticker tag. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's that's what he would get. You know what I'm saying? Now, Pooh, listen, we we thoroughly appreciate you. Um, we we love you for everything you've done, everything you contributed. I remember. I mean, obviously, I've known Chris for Chris ten years now. Yeah, decade now. Years. Yeah, so when the when May the Lord Watch was released, I remember talking to Chris about it. Like, this is us. This is for us. This is for us. This is for us at this like, and it was just wonderful. Like Chris said, and like you said, to capture that moment um, and bring it real for for fans today or in present kind of present day. So um, we appreciate you. We appreciate your contributions. We love you. Keep putting out that ill heart and and management too. So we can't. You mentioned that too, and you're now managing. So that's excellent. And it's good to see. And you you've been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. You know, also guest speaker as well. So you've been doing a lot. So we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you so much. I have to say though, Chris is the actual factual. So um, when it comes to this rap stuff, he is the actual factual. I'm the failed Homo sapien. He is the actual factual. He's the actual factual. Gotcha, he is the gotcha. actual factual. So um, I know for him, this is this is a moment for for him as well. So we appreciate. I actually it. um I saw you and Tay 
live just before you drop the get back in London at the Jazz Cafe. Mm-hmm. One of the best nights of my life. Pooh, when you guys came down those stairs to Queen, we are the champions. I'm like, nah, this is this is something. <laughs> this is different. This is different. I've never seen the Jazz Cafe so packed. There was just such a vibe there. And it's like, this is before social media. So I don't have any photos. I don't have any videos. It's just all committed to memories. And that's what makes it so special because some of those memories will never be committed to kind of like digital media, but they still happen. And that's why they're so special. I will never, probably the best show I've ever been to. And I've seen Farrell Monch. I've seen Slum Village. I've seen Jay-Z. You man are up there for me. Thank you, man. That, that Jazz Cafe, I mean, that that venue, always special um, for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons I actually met my wife at the Jazz Cafe. No. <laughs> Yeah, I met my wife when I first met her. It was at the jazz cafe. What? Uh, not that particular, not that particular show, but your wife's from yeah, over here. Yeah. So, no, my wife is from here, but she was going to school over there at the time. Yo, so yep. we did that for you? Not we. What do you mean by we? Yeah, we. Did he that did that for, me, for him. Man. No, we're, man, about we're here, isn't it? You know, like nah, you know, London and that's cafe. Nah, come yeah. on, man. <laughs> Y'all did that for me. That is dope. Congratulations, <laughs> That's man. amazing. Thank you. Thank, yeah, man. That, so that, that place will always... I was kind of sad that when we were scheduled to come over there last year before the pandemic, we weren't going to be playing the Jazz Cafe. We were we were going to be playing somewhere else. And I was kind of sad that we weren't, you know... that, that it, The place is small. It's, you know, it's, it's awkward how you got to come down to the stage, all that stuff. But it's still, it's special. You know what I'm saying? That's a special place. That's a special venue. And um, I was kind of sad we weren't going to play there. But it, it, like I said, it will always hold a special place, you know, in my heart and mind. I can't believe what I just had. Absolutely. That's amazing. I know, no idea. His wife at the Jazz Cafe. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. So happy for you both. Absolutely. And thanks again for today. Thank you. Like I said. Thank you. Bucket list. Uh, Thank y'all, man. Thank y'all. It's just, you know, pleasure to do it, man. It's been fun. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all having me. Thank you. Peace to Rapper Pooh for his time, his insights. That was a very good conversation. We talked music. We did nostalgia. uh, And we did some deep conversation. We had some deep conversation there, you know, how to communicate with with one another, you know, being vulnerable, which is very important. And when we get to this age, because... In our communities, we're very, we don't want to talk about it. We have the wall up and I think it's important to have that conversation. I know we're a music rap podcast, but also we are human beings. And I think it's also good to, even for me anyway, personally, to give that knowledge from people who are more mature, uh, who are more eloquent than me to 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 give their opinions and their perspectives on how they deal with those things. So true. Well yeah. said, well said. We had, we had good fun, man. Well said. And, and, and again, thank you because... um. I tell you, man, <laughs> sometimes when I log in on the Zoom and I see who you've booked in, I'm just like, yo, like, I don't even like tell you, right? I don't even tell you. You don't even tell me, bro. Like, I just log into Zoom and I just see these names and I said, damn. And I saw Rapper Poo and I know as much as you're a fan of Little Brother, I do know that you, you did that specifically with me in mind. So I just want to say thank you. Yeah. And um, that was a fun conversation. And I'm so humbled because I remember where I was when I bought the listening, I like, I bought it twice. And to be able to have a conversation with someone who was so integral to that and, and my journey in hip hop, 
It's okay. It's what we I mean, do it like, for. It's what we do it for. This all time, ninth, Fonte, the law. Yeah, you're gonna have to. Um, you're gonna have to clear the diary when 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 we talk to ninth wonder. I'm gonna have to do like a change of clothes, like it's a verses or something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's should gonna we, be should mad. We be, um, should we be like so? If ninth is pig daddy came, we could be scoob and scrap. Oh, bruv, <laughs> bruv. We're gonna have to do the kid and play kick step yeah. on the call. All of that. It's gonna be crazy. But no, but but no. This was a good conversation. I really I really yeah. enjoyed uh, the conversation. It was fun. I just want to know who their top eight MySpace friends were. Um, do you know what? I, I, I'll check it out. Maybe the um. Oh, maybe there might be a time uh, machine still up. The time machine, the yeah. The time machine, the Wayback machine, we have to do that. But now, nah, I really thoroughly enjoyed that. And, and Pooh is, I'm glad that he's he's getting into management now as well because not only is he an elite MC, but he's also a dot connector. And now for him mm. to have that um, as an official capacity where he can put people in a position and he can pass on what he's learned, it just means that the the artists under his wing are, are, are going to be great. They're going to be artists in the truest sense and um what i what i realized even in that call like he's now connected to tde and he's connected to dreamville two of the biggest labels yeah and after in terms of hip-hop aftermath and jamla like he, jamla. he's part of that lineage too like his legacy is crazy it's and, crazy and i think that's a very good point you raise because that is testament to the work they put in Right. So we know how this business works. Right. You can have super talent, but if you're an asshole uh, or you're not easy to get on with, they don't mess with you. You're just a good who you're just a guy who's talented, but he's talented and he comes across well and he he knows and people can gravitate and energy is important. People meet people all the time. They ain't got time to mess with some F, you know, fuck face, pardon language, but I'm the potty mouth of the South. So this is a testament to who Pooh is for him to be able to cultivate those relationships and those people to pick up his phone and for him to put people in those positions. That's vitally important in this business. Vitally important. You can be a colonizer and you can fake your way through, but you will get caught out. But people like Pooh and people like, and, and the people we've had in this podcast, these are real people who have dedicated a large chunk of their adult life to hip hop to ensure that we get the the music the legendary music and the things that formulate our lives we have to protect these people as much as possible and give their flowers as much as possible boom i think i might use that as a title protect poo at all costs yes it's true we have to do it for every look man look look i might do it come I on don't know. look at the people we've we'll lost see. recently and the 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 running theme right the running theme is uh, you know, we, you know, they should have people around them. The fans, of course, the fans are going to love these people. Fans are going to love uh, Black Rob. Fans are going to love X. Fans are going to love all these people. But we've got to do more. We've got to do I've more. Got, I've got an idea that I want to share with you off the mic. We've got to do in more. In relation to that. Right. Yeah. But we've got to do more to to raise up and, and, and give flowers to those who are here. So I'm trying to tell people when I book them for interviews, I'm trying to tell them that this is... This isn't some sort of like I'm trying to be a friends with you. Trying to we're trying to document something and trying to do it in a way in which there's some integrity and journalistic integrity to everything we do. Um and a lot of people who have gone yes get that and I salute them for that. But we have to do more we have to do we have to do better as a culture. There was one question I I didn't ask Pooh, but one day we were which is about, you know, what can we do as fans? of black culture to do help because he talked about on state of the union you know terrorism when we don't play by the rules racism if we speak our views only realism when they show it on the news he said that on state of the union that's still valid to this day 
when he comes back, we'll ask him. Right. So anyway, I'm gonna co- I'm gonna go off in it on one. So um, we might just wrap this up and say F the socials. No, you can follow good. us on social at Break the Atoms. Right. Break the Atoms. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Chris's handle is at I am Kinetic Minds as Hip Hop Chronicle. We love all the listeners from across the world. We love you for tapping Uganda. in. We got Uganda, bro. Whoa, come on now. This Uganda. is wonderful, wonderful. And look, you can you can get us pretty much on every major podcast platform. Apple, Stitcher, Google, um Pandora, iHeartRadio. You got no excuses. Audio Mac. Every radio, every radio, There's every Stitcher. Everywhere you went never there. So come on. We appreciate you. We love you. Until next time. Peace. Peace.